0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Did you feel the anointing on that song? A hundred billion ways. I just, every time I hear that song, I am so moved by by it, I, you know, over the years in my life, I've been a, a shade tree astronomer. I built a telescope back when I was a kid, and I, I like looking at the planets and the stars and the galaxies. And I am always so amazed that the Bible says that by the word of his mouth and the breath of his mouth, he formed the heavens. He spoke them, and they, they, it came. It, it, it proceeded from him. Scientists call it the Big Bang. I call it creation. (laughs) I don't know when he spoke if there was a bang, but it did come from him, and it all proceeded, and it will all go back to him. He is such a good God. Can you say amen? Amen. We want to take a moment and welcome everybody that's here today. We're glad that you are here in person. We want to welcome everybody that's watching online today. We are glad for you. Uh, Those that will watch, uh, a lot of times we have people that watch at a later time, and so we welcome you as well. Um, uh, Did the teenagers already go out? Looks like they already left. Are there any teenagers in here? Are there any wannabe teenagers in here? Okay, there you go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Couple announcements that I wanna make known to you. First of all, I wanna tell you, what's coming up tomorrow evening so most of you may know that every Monday evening we have a prayer meeting here at the church and we meet right up here and we pray but this week this Monday we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to do what I call a church-wide prayer meeting we are going to be meeting from six o'clock to eight o'clock for the purposes of prayer and so we invite you to come anyone that would like to come uh And we are going to be lifting up the needs of our world, our country, our church, and all of that, and we're believing God to move in our lives, and so how many understand that prayer is necessary and it works, and so basically what I'm asking is if you would like to come join us, you do not have to join us for the whole two hours. I know that there are some that will be here for all of that, and that's great, and we love that, but if you can only come for 15 minutes, if you're coming home from work and you say, you know, I'm going to stop into church real quick and join them in prayer For about 15 minutes that's great if you stay for 30 minutes an hour if you stay the whole time that's great towards the end of the prayer meeting we're going to join together and just lift up some needs but uh, we're going to do this tomorrow night at uh, uh, six o'clock right here in the sanctuary and then we're going to also do it on uh, tuesday and wednesday but on tuesday and wednesday it's only going to be from six to seven and we're going to be in the prayer room Uh, we won't be in the sanctuary so you say where's the prayer room uh, the prayer room is in the next building over on the back side, room number nine, and you'll see people, and there's a big sign on that door. And so come join us, and we're just believing God for revival, amen? We're believing God to do what he does, and we just feel called to do that. So we want to uh, encourage you to come and and be a part of that. Also, just want to encourage all the men uh, to come out and 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 be a part of men's Uh, ministry tonight men of valor uh, gonna do something unique and fun and and have a good time and get a piece of pizza out of it so it'll be good amen so come on out and be a part of that amen if you have your Bibles turn with me over to the book of Hebrews the book of Hebrews today so I I uh, I'm excited Uh, We had a great time in 8.30 service. Um, uh, I was excited to put this message together. And the reason I was excited to put this message together is because I really felt the presence of God as I was doing it. Amen. And so this message took me about three days to put together through the study and, and all of that. And as I was working on this message, I would just feel the pleasure of God in it. Amen. And I just felt his pleasure because I believe he's speaking to his church. Can you say amen? And so he is speaking to you and I. And so now this sermon, you need to understand something about this sermon, is this sermon is one of those sermons that help us uh, to take a look on the inside and to take note of what is truly going on in our lives so we can realign ourselves and get back on, tr- on track. Now listen, my dad, uh, for a lot of years, for probably 20, 25 years of his life, is he was a private pilot. He owned his own airplane and he loved to fly, and he flew all over the country, and and, uh, uh, he flew back east a couple times, and most of the time he flew around this area. He'd fly to different cities and go have breakfast. That was just kind of my dad's dad's, uh, hobby. He did that, and he had a little Cessna 150. Now, if you know anything about airplanes, it's a pretty small plane. It's not very powerful, and if you get any kind of wind at all, it, it ain't going very fast. And so I remember one time he was coming back from Michigan, and, and, and what he would do is he always would call me at the airport that he was at getting fuel, and I would get on the radar. Look, I would look ahead of him to see if there was any weather. And so I, he'd call me and say, what's the weather look like? And I said, oh, you're clear all the way to this point, you know, or, or you need to go to here or you need to whatever. And so we would talk on the phone, and one time he called me. He flew from Gallup to Winslow, which is really by flight time not very far. but it took all his fuel. He had to land and get more fuel. And I said, what's going on? And he said, man, I got a headwind. He says, I'm following I-40 and the cars on the ground are going faster than me. He said, my ground speed is about 55 miles an hour. Now, his airspeed was a lot faster, and the, the wind coming across the wings was keeping him up in the air, but it was holding him back. And he says, I should have just drove. And I said, well, what's the fun of that? You know, at least you're in your airplane, you know. And, and so one of the things my dad taught me, the first time I went flying with him, he taught me how to land. And he says, I'm going to have you land the plane a couple times. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, I'll come. He goes, well, because if I die up here, you're going to want to get down. And he said, no, "I don't have a parachute." And I'm thinking, "Well, you know, thanks for thinking of me, you know." And so, you know, I, you know, I bounced the plane off the runway a couple of times. I was, you know, he and, he and I said, "Man, that was a bad landing." He goes, "Any landing you can walk away from is a good one." And so I'm like, "Okay," you know. So it's really not, you know, it's a really kind of a grading on a curve, you know. And so, you know, I, I felt good about that. But one of the things he taught me with his airplane, especially is that you always had to make in-flight adjustments. And the reason you had to make in-flight adjustments is because when you're flying, there's a lot of things that are working against you. There's wind and gravity and there's, you know, this uh, up, uplift and downdraft and wind shear and all this stuff. And he says in the bigger planes, what they do is they have a computer on board that's making all those adjustments. It senses it and it's always bringing it back to so it's staying on course. He goes, in my plane, He goes, I have a steering wheel and a throttle and a couple pedals, and that's it, you know, and a gauge that says how high I am and, you know, if I'm going to crash into a mountain or not. And he says, so I have to really watch, and I have to make these in-flight adjustments. Well, Christianity is just like that. We have to make in-flight adjustments because as human beings, we tend to go all over the page. We tend to, you know, wander around and we go on bunny trails and, you know, we're kind of like that dog in that, comm- or in that movie Up, you know. we, You know, squirrel, you know, and we're off running, you know, into something else and God's like, no, 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 come back. We're kind of like toddlers. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever had it? We, you know, we have some toddlers as grandchildren and every now and then you have to redirect them. It's not that they're bad kids. It's not, it's just they like to get into stuff, right? They get a screwdriver and they want to go see what the light socket's about. And so what happens is you got to redirect them. It's kind of an in-flight adjustment. And that's what this servant is about today. Because Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, it says this, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. So today my intent is to help you and to challenge you to look on the inside and make some in-flight adjustments. Can you say amen to that? Now every day I speak with people who are going through very, very difficult trials. They tell me that they're praying, that they're seeking God, they are crying out for deliverance, and I'm sure, no doubt, that they are. Yet in many cases, there is no change. The trial remains even for an extended period of time. And as a result, I've noticed that they become angry, they become frustrated, they become discouraged, disappointed, depressed, and even tormented. And very often, they blame people, they blame circumstances and other external influences for all their troubles. And what they do is, for example, they blame their job. They'll say things like this, if I had a better job, if I had more pay, a better boss, better working conditions, I wouldn't be so angry. I wouldn't be so frustrated. I wouldn't be so discouraged and tormented. Or they say this, uh, they, they, they blame their spouse or their children, saying if they had a better wife or if they had a better husband that was more sensitive or more serving to them. Or if, you know, they blame their children. If my children would just behave, I wouldn't be so angry, so frustrated, so discouraged and tormented. Sometimes they blame their lot in life. If I lived in a different place, a different house, a different city, a different neighborhood, or in fact, in Christians, they oftentimes go, if I, if I had a better church, I wouldn't be so angry. Frustrated, you know. I, let me say this. Can I can I go on a pet peeve here? A lot of people I, they've said to me over the years, pastoring long enough, they'll say something like this. Well, you know, we really feel like we need to move to another church because we're just not getting fed. And and, and I'm I, what I want to say is no no you need to move to another church because you're not eaten. <laughs> See, we think we think that the external is what's causing our problems. And we even will blame God. If God would just answer my prayers, I wouldn't be so angry, frustrated, discouraged, or tormented. And so often I see people living with significant setbacks, hindrances, and handicaps, and they seem like they are prevented from living the kind of life that God promises in his word. They go from one crisis to another, from one trial to another, hoping that one day they will enjoy the promise that God has given them. They pray, they fast, they stand upon the word, yet nothing seems to change. And over and over again, I ask myself and I'm asked by others, why? Why are we so stuck? And I want you to think about this. Because this kind of dysfunctional cycle can go on for years and years, leaving lots of spiritual and emotional damage in its wake. And the only real answer to these kinds of problems is to understand what is going on just under the surface of our lives. And I found today that there is nothing as crippling and paralyzing as what is spoke about in our text. So let's look at it, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one, verse one and two, reading from the New King James, it says, "Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this is a powerful portion of scripture. And if you will meditate on it and draw from it its wisdom, it will change your life. I want to read it, though, out of the Amplified Version, because the Amplified Version gives us a bigger picture. It says, therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, the unnecessary weight and that sin which so readily, skillfully, and cleverly clings to us, clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patience or patient endurance, and steady and active persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Now I want to say something to you. I want to make a statement. Sin is a thief. Sin is a thief. But sin will promise you pleasure. Sin will promise you happiness, only to leave you empty and discouraged. But listen to me, sin is much more than that. Because the imagery that is used in the verse that we used as our text has some real deep understanding to this. And if we will catch it, it really will help us. Listen to the words that Paul uses to describe sin. He says, and the sin which so readily, skillfully, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but at night, when I go to bed, I have my iPhone and I have my iPad, okay? And they both sit on my end table or, or, or my nightstand next to me in my bed. And I have cords for both of them. And they are plugged into an extension cord. And I am amazed that when I wake up in the middle of the night, as every old man does three or four times, and I get out of bed to take care of business, that my feet somehow become entangled in this dope-crazed spider web called the cords that empower my technology. I don't know why it is. Uh, You know, you can pick up my phone or my iPad at any given time and the cord will just slip out. But when I get out of bed in the middle of the night at three in the morning to go to the bathroom and my feet get entangled in the cords, it rips my iPad through all the stuff on my nightstand, throwing it in every direction, entangling itself around my feet and handcuffing me to the floor so now I have to crawl. Now, I know that I'm being a little dramatic, but at three in the morning, that's exactly what it feels like. That's what it feels like. And I'm telling you, that's what sin does to you. Sin is like a long rope that will wind its way around your feet and your legs until you are unable to move. The problem is, is it does it slowly enough that you don't notice it that you actually think it's a benefit. Oh, look at this beautiful rope around my legs. You don't call it rope. You call it jewelry. You look at it, it's, in, it's, it, what, it's bling. Or it's not bling, it's, 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 what, what's the, it's accessories. That's what it is. This is accessorizing me. But really what it is, it's rope meant to tie you up and all the while, it promises to give you what you could never have without it. That's what sin does. Says, sin, 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 sin says, look, the only way you're really going to enjoy life is if you indulge in me. You can't. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought? You know, it's usually when we go on diets, right? It's a diet. It's like, how can I enjoy life without pizza? And, you know, pizza begins to talk, right? Right? It begins to speak to you. It begins to say, you know you want it. And what, how can one slice really hurt? It's just one. Just one slice. Just, just one. Hey, just have a couple bites. It's okay. But it's lying, isn't it? Because you know you're not going to have a couple bites. You know you're not going to have one slice. You're going to eat the whole pizza. The whole thing. You're going to stand there like a big old fat tick. Come on. And you're going to go, why did I eat the whole thing? And in the end, when it's almost too late, you find that sin never delivers it only robs. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will take you further than you want to go. And Paul says, strip it off and throw it aside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now let me make something very clear before we go any further. Because my belief system is, is that when we get saved, The power, the curse, and the consequences of sin have been completely and thoroughly dealt with. Can you say amen? In the Bible, Romans chapter 6 says this. It tells us that we have been set free from sin. And we need to listen to it. And I I know this will take a little bit of time, but this is necessary that we get this. So Romans 6, starting in verse 3, the Bible says these words, Have you forgotten... I love that, I, I love the starting of that because Paul's, he's, he's looking at the Romans and going, I need to remind you of something because you guys have forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined, we joined him in his death. For we, die, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. How many know that we are new? We're brand new. We have new lives. Since we have been united with him in death, we, also, we will also be raised to life as he was, Listen, listen to this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Listen. Anybody that says to you, I'm a sinner saved by grace, doesn't know who they are in Christ. I, my old sinful self has been nailed to a cross. It's dead, it's gone, it's not who I am. I am brand new. Can you say amen? He says this, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin does not own us, it has no power over us, and it cannot dictate our lives anymore. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin." And since we died with Christ, we know we'll also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Listen, death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Are you catching this? The sin, sin has no power over you. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also, this is where it's key you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Most Christians consider themselves still alive in sin. You are not. You are not. The Bible says specifically, you are dead to sin. He goes on, he says, therefore, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, in other words, here's the answer. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So what does all this mean? It means that we are free from sin. We are free from its control, its power, its destructive effects in our life. So long as we choose to live in the freedom given to us. Listen again to the power of these statements, please. Consider yourselves dead to the power of sin. Consider yourself alive to God through Christ Jesus. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Give yourself completely to God. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. So the question then, if all of that is true... So why do we still sin? Seems like a reasonable question to me. If all that's true, it's in the Bible. And it's even in the authorized version. (laughs) That's another sermon. If you're hung up on translations... I'm going to just give you this as a freebie. Any English Bible you read, any, King James or otherwise, is a translation. It's just just a freebie. Shoot that arrow and wherever it may land. So why do we still sin? Many say it's because we have a sin nature. Many say we can't help it. That can't be it. That cannot be the answer, because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if we are in Christ, we are a brand new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Second Peter one four says that uh, we are given exceedingly great and precious promises, and that by these, what those great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature, so we can escape the corruption that is in this world. I am not a sinner. I'm a saint of God who occasionally sins. I don't have a sin nature. I'm a partaker of the divine nature, not by my desire, not by my word, but by God's. Are you hearing me? So let's get this straight. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are new creatures in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. We are partakers of the divine nature. We are no longer under the power of sin. We've been set free. Sin is not our, man, our master. So why do we still struggle with sin? Because we want to. Because we choose to. (laughs) There's been a lot of theologians and good, well-meaning pastors that have spent most of their life coming up with religious theology to tell you why you're still a sinner under grace. But I'm telling you the reason that you sin, if you're saved, the reason you sin is because you want to. All right, so that, so, okay, come on, that's good. That begs the question why do I want to? I have found the question, why, is a very useful question. Why? I want to know. I want to know why. Two reasons. The first reason is a whole sermon series in itself, and maybe one day we'll do it. I'm just going to give it an honorable mention. But the first reason is we fail to understand who we are in Christ. So therefore, we hang on to an old identity that has been completely and thoroughly put under the blood of Jesus. That's why people sin. is because they don't know who they are. The reason that people stay in slavery is because they don't know they're free. The reason the children of Israel had to die in the wilderness is because they didn't know they were free. Oh, they were completely out of Egypt, but they were still living like slaves. They were on their way to the promised land. God had delivered them. And they were convinced that all he was doing was killing them. They had a faulty identity. That's another sermon. The second reason, which I find a lot more fun to preach is because we dabble with sinful thoughts. We dabble with desires. We dabble with practices that reside just, sinful practices that reside just under the sur- surface of our life without putting them to death. James 1, 14 through 15 says this. Listen, the, these verses, the, the reason this is so cool is because as God is unfolding this to me. It's like, Duh, how do you not get this? I'm speaking to me. James chapter one, verse 14 and 15 says, but each one, that would mean anyone that's here, is when he is tempted, he's tempted by his own evil desires. He is dragged away and enticed, then after desire is conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. I want you to notice something about that verse. James does not say when we are tempted, we are being tempted by the devil. (laughs) I can see, I, I, I I have a great imagination. So in the spirit, this is what I see. I see in a counseling room somewhere in America in a church, somebody sitting before their pastor, and they're confessing this problem. And the pastor says, why do you do it? And the person goes, because the devil makes me. And the devil's standing there going. I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do nothing. Now, no doubt the devil is a master tempter. I'm not trying to start a new doctrine. And oftentimes he does tempt us with great skill. But much of the temptation we fall for is not because we are in some desperate battle with the devil, but we are pulled away and tempted by our own desire. Listen, desires that we have nurtured and fed. Desires that we have spent time paying attention to. desires that just we just don't want to let go of because we buy into the lie that we're the exception to the rule nothing bad's going to happen to me god understands me so what do we do we toy with it we flirt with it we dabble with it and we say things like this, I'm just going to have a little bit, just a little taste. This reminds me of my wife, and I'm going to be in trouble this afternoon, so I, I want you to know I'm sacrificing for you to make a point. <laughs> my wife is famous for saying, especially when it comes to cake, I say, do you want a piece of cake? I don't want a whole piece, I just want taste. She will taste the cake until it's gone, <laughs> having never had a piece of cake. I just want to taste, just a little bit. I don't want a whole piece, I just want a bite of yours. John, don't share food. I'll order you anything you want. I don't want to share my French fry. Don't taste my. We went to sushi last night. I just want to taste. Don't order it. I'll order fifty rolls for you. I want my roll. You eat your roll. She just loves tasting. You know, Pastor Howard. Back in the day, Howard is the one that actually kind of got me turned on to sushi. And Howard loved sushi, and it was great fun. It really was, because what he would do is he'd take a bunch of us out, and he would go to the sushi bar, and he would just order for everybody. He'd order, like, I'm not when I say this, I'm not joking, like 10 rolls, 10 different rolls and all this stuff, and there'd be all kinds of sushi and all of that. And everybody just kind of, it was like a smorgasbord right there. Smorgasbord is Swedish for buffet. It was like a buffet. It was a buffet of sushi. And my wife loved that because she don't want a whole roll; she just wants to taste your roll. And that's how Christians are. I'm not a sinner. I'm just, I'm just tasting. I don't, I don't have a problem. I just want a little taste. No one's gonna know, right? sowing we indulge, take our taste, and you know what? Nothing happens. That's amazing. No lightning, no thunder, no judgment. The earth doesn't open up and swallow us whole. We would probably do better if it did. Think about it for a moment. If every time you sinned, a finger fell off, you go to shake hands, it's like oh you you've been sinning haven't you? Looks like you've been up to no good, huh? You had a taste, didn't you? You had a little taste, didn't you? <laughs> you walk in and you go. Can, can somebody help me? I gotta fill out my tithe report. I gotta. I need to give to Jesus because I I can't afford to lose the limbs. See, but the Bible says this. There's a very interesting verse. I love it. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. This is why reading your Bible is really good. It says this. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. You remember the first time you stole some bubblegum? I know. I did. I stole some. I'm, I'm copping. I did it. It wasn't bubble. I don't know what it was. But I stole something, put it in my pocket, and nobody said nothing. I went through, no bells and whistles went off, nobody caught me. And you know what? I figured I got away with it. I figured, you know what? I am a master thief. (laughs) And as the cycle runs its course... We become more and more brazen, more and more daring, more and more justified. And the whole time, what we're doing is we're undermining our own standing. We are sabotaging our identity. We are robbing our own destiny. And the devil doesn't even have to move. When I first wrote the sermon, the the phrase that I wrote is, the devil doesn't even got to get out of bed to get you to fall. because we fail to understand all that salvation has done for us. Remember what Romans 6 said? We know that our old sinful selves were, was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Now let me say this to you. Before we go on, you need to understand this, because this is where, see, in this kind of preaching, you can either, you could be healthy or you could get really religious. So what you need to understand to stay healthy is that our Father never threatens. You will never find a threat in the Word of God. may feel like one, but it is not threatening. God is a good Father, and what He does is He either encourages and teaches us how to go further, or He warns of the danger and the consequences and shows us how to avoid it. There's a verse in scripture that is incredibly insightful, but it is extremely controversial because over the years it has been so misinterpreted and misused. And many, many, many people have used it to bring fear and condemnation and manipulation. But when you see its wisdom, It'll change your life. And that scripture is found in Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That little phrase has been used as a baseball bat, as a tool of persuasion to control people. But the key to this verse is the word regard. Because it means to recognize and to cherish. It means to view with fondness. He says, if I regard in my heart, literally, if I have seen iniquity in my heart and I'm unwilling to confess it or forsake it. If I approve of what God condemns. If I cherish it in my soul. It's not talking about somebody who is struggling to overcome sin. We are talking about someone who deliberately or even unwittingly is toying with sin. This is where it gets dicey, because only you can determine the motive of your heart. Only you can examine what's really happening in the secret place of your life. And I stand here and I say to you, it's extremely important that we get honest about what's in our heart. Too often, we allow things in our heart with no challenge and no purpose to remove it. And let me assure you this morning, that God is, in fact, a God of grace. But we cannot afford to allow grace to be an excuse for sin. Grace does not cover sin. It empowers righteousness. So how do you know that? Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that has appeared to all... That, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What's he saying? It's the grace of it. It's not covering your sin. It's not hiding it so nobody knows. The grace of God comes and empowers you to say no. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Yes. So it's not your heavenly Father you need to worry about. Because that verse has been used, if you've got iniquity in your heart, God's not going to listen to you. Like as if God's mad at you. It's not our heavenly Father we need to worry about. Because he is for you. He's helping you. He is the one that sent his son to break the curse, to pay the price, and to take your place on the cross. It's unchallenged sin. It's toying with that sin. It's regarding iniquity in our heart that we need to worry about. Because that has definite and extreme consequences. Listen to what I'm saying. We all do it. We all toy with it. We need to reject it. Paul says, strip it off and throw it away. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But what I want you to notice what God did not say. God did not say, if I have sin, he will not hear me. Thank God for that. If he had, if God would have said, if God was saying, I don't hear sinners, then he could not hear human beings pray. For the Bible says all have sinned. And I know, I've looked at the scriptures yesterday. There are scriptures that says, there's one in the New Testament that says God does not hear a sinner. But that's, it, it, it's out of context if you take it just like that. Because here's the woman caught in the act of adultery. He is going to, to Zacchaeus' house before Zacchaeus got saved. The other tax collectors and sinners and the religious people were upset with him. He can hear sinners. So it's got to mean something else. He doesn't even say, if at this moment there is sin in my life, he won't hear me. First John 1, eight teaches us that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And many get the idea that God's up in heaven with his fingers in his ears going, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. But that's not the picture. So what is God saying? He's saying, I must not love sin. He's saying, I must not regard it. I must not look at it fondly. I must not toy with it. I must not play with it. I must not treat it like a puppy that's cute. But I must deal with it as the invader that it is if I hold any particular sin in my heart and love it and make an alibi for it and excuse it and cover it up, then that becomes the controversy between me and God. Why? Because God hates sin. God's made a remedy for sin. So it's not the fact that sin exists, it's how I live towards it. It's my attitude towards it. But what does it really do? What does it say? Does it mean God won't hear? No, it means God is blocked from moving. It means that I have put myself in a position by my own will, by my own choice. Why? Because sin has been, the power has been broken. The only way I can sin now is if I choose to. I'm not compelled to sin. Power has been broken. I'm not commanded to sin by any master. I don't even have the nature of sin. I have, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. So why would I sin? Because I want to. Because I choose to. And if I hold on to that, if I toy with that, if, I, if, my, if my attitude towards it is like, oh, it's okay. I'll get over it. Or it's just not that big a deal. No, I need to look at it and I need to shoot it right in its head. See the problem is, is when I when I describe something like a cute little fluffy puppy, because that's what the devil will do. He will bring your sin to you and he will display it to you as this cute little fluffy little, you know, sweet little puppy. And then what we see is the big old ogre God coming with a big forty-five, pointing it right at the head of this puppy, going, "You're going to die." And we think, "Oh dear God, you're so hard." The problem is is we got to have a perception change because that little fluffy puppy is not neutral. That little fluffy puppy will eat your lunch for you and everyone around you. That little fluffy puppy has the ability to completely destroy you, completely ruin you. And what we do is we flirt with it and we go, oh, well, you know, no, oh, well, you know. Get the gun out and shoot it. Shoot it before it grows. Because if you feed it, it'll grow. And it will tell you everything you want to hear. I'll be your best friend. Nobody has to know. We can cover all of this up. Jesus said it this way Surely your sin will find you out, and it will be shouted from the housetop. Not my words. When we allow sin to remain in control through habits, addictions, or learned behavior, or even simple immaturity, when we offer excuses, when we fail to take it seriously, we find ourselves in a place where God is unable to move because of our choice. Listen to this, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. "'Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption.' But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Amen. Jesus said there is a law in place like the law of gravity. Whatever goes up is coming down. He says there's a law in place. You cannot deny what you sow. It will come up. So if you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, if all this is going on, you've got to look at your garden. What kind of seeds do you have? Jason can come if he'd like. We're bringing this to a close. The key to overcoming this is simple. It's called repentance. To change our mind, to turn away. But how do we do that? Number one, we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge our sin. David, if you remember he did some bad stuff and one of the things that he did when he became king he became power hungry and all of that and he went and and you know he slept with Bathsheba and had her husband killed and all that because he could and no one could question him but Nathan came one day the prophet Nathan stuck his finger in his face and said I'm going to tell you a story and it angered David David says we're going to go out and get that guy and Nathan says you're the man And look what David did. He immediately threw up his hands and says, you're right. You know what we hate more than anything? We hate the spotlight because it's embarrassing. We hate it. We don't like it. We don't want to be held accountable. We don't want, what we want to do is we want to deal with it in isolation. And church, that's the lie of the devil. That's what the devil's telling you to do. Okay, you can deal with this, but deal with it privately. Am I saying that we need to get on Facebook and air all our dirty laundry? Heaven's sakes, no. Please do not. So how do you acknowledge it? You find someone in your life, a friend, a pastor, a counselor, that you trust and you go to them and say, I got this problem. Acknowledge your sin. Understand the continual need for Jesus. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about relationship. Because see, that's what sin is trying to give you, is a false sense of relationship. Because that's what sin's doing. I'll be your friend. I'll be your lover. I'll be there for you. You can trust me. You can count on me. I'll give you satisfaction, pleasure, peace, all these things. That's what it tells you. But it's a lie. It's pseudo. It's fake. It's empty. It's trying to replace God in your life. So what did, what did Paul said? said? He, he said to submit ourselves, to give ourselves completely to God. Why? Because then we're truly filled. See, when you're filled up with him, sin can't get in. There's no room for it. Second, we, the third, we confess our sin. And you say, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? You say about your sin what God says about your sin. First John chapter one verse nine says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason I love this verse is because he he begins this whole context and he says, he goes, you know what? He goes, if we sin, he goes, we have an answer, because you're gonna confess it, strip it off, get rid of it quick. And the way you do that is confession psalms 32 verse 5 says finally i confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide them i said to myself i will confess my rebellion to the lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone see there's something about confession that pulls us out of the obscurity of the shadow it'll pull us out and it shows us the light no one is more free than someone who has nothing to hide. Amen. And finally, as I close, we need to make a change. We need to change. So many people, they don't, we don't like that, we don't like that, we don't like change. We, like, we don't want to change. But listen to me, you can't grow without change. You know, we have Jason, they just had a baby, baby Wyatt. And you know, I think he was what, seven pounds, seven ounces or something like that when he was born. I think he's nine pounds now, or just short of nine. What's happening? He's changing. Now, if he's 15 and still seven pounds, seven ounces, we got a real big problem. No change, though. Thank God for that. It Does it even work? It don't, does it? We got to change. That means we got to think differently, walk differently, talk differently. And you know what? The Bible is filled with the instruction of how to do that how to be what he's called us to be. See, church, we're struggling too much. We ought not to struggle this much because the answer is there and it will change you. So I want to do something a little different. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I'm running long. I apologize. I apologize. But I, I, I I want, and for you that are watching online, I want you to to take a moment. We used to do this years ago. We used to have an altar call where everybody would come forward and kind of do business with God and seal what what the message was speaking to them. But right now, what I'd like you to do is just take one minute. We'll only take 60 seconds. You can continue on later, and I recommend that you do. But if you were reminded of something in your heart, take take this moment to ask God to forgive you. Say, God, just please forgive me. Father, right now, God, touch your people. Minister to them. Father, help them, encourage them. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today, you say, you know what? I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I'd like to give my life to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Raise it up all across this place. I need Jesus, amen? I see that hand. Someone else, amen. I see that hand, you put it down. Someone else, amen. Praise God. Would you pray this prayer with me quickly? Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life and I receive yours. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that and you're online, write write a comment, let us know. And if you prayed that in here today, whether you raised your hand or not, our ministry team is going to come right now, and they're going to be right up front. Come up and just let them pray for you. Let them pray for you. Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place? I'm going to let you get out of here. We love you. We appreciate you. You guys have a great and wonderful day. God bless.